Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that that song would be true of us, that we would not boast in our own strength, our own works, our own righteousness, our own accomplishments, our own strivings to look and dress up the outside, but Lord, that our boast would be in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. Father, I pray that you would do a work among us today. I pray that your Holy Spirit would have his way in every heart. Those who know you as their Savior and those who have never experienced a saving relationship by faith uh, with Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sin and cleansing. Father, I pray that you would draw us all into sweeter fellowship with you. I pray that we would come to a place of recognizing your sufficiency, your goodness, your perfection, and that we would see in ourselves our own unworthiness and our need for a Savior day by day. That the just really would live by faith. That we, in striving to please you in our lives, would recognize it only happens as we work it out in faithful dependence upon a God who has covered it all and accomplished it all for us. Lord, may the rest of this story of the prodigal son, may it really be, be alive for us as we take a careful look at the rest of Luke 15. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd encourage you to open up your Bibles, if you would, please, to Luke 15. We're finishing kind of this last chapter, as it were, in the saga of, the, of these parables of lost things, the lost in the found, as it were. There have been three kind of stories that have been working together, beginning the beginning of uh, Luke chapter 15, the, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and now concluding with the parable of the lost son. Every one of these parables that are working together are, are meant to point to one reality, point to one goal, one hope, one purpose that God has for humanity. And that is to draw us in, into relationship with the Father, draw us into relationship and help us come to a place of recognizing our sin, repenting from that sin, and being drawn into the joy of heaven. It's been about the joy of heaven from start to finish. Celebrating heaven's joy. Have you you ever had the opportunity to participate in heaven's joy? Not only by recognizing in your own life a need for repentance in the beauty of Christ in his saving work, but also in inviting others to participate and enjoy that work of Christ in forgiving them of their sin and celebrating over them this work of Christ that we're gonna remember at the end of our service today, his death, his resurrection, and all that was necessary to cover our sin, to pay the penalty for our sin, which was death, and to invite us into relationship with himself through faith in Christ. We come to this final chapter of this story of the prodigal, and um, we come to recognize the significance of, of forgiveness of sins. We see this delight in the Father of providing 
forgiveness and welcoming relationship and this, this picture of this, of this healing that is happening in restoring this young son to, to fellowship, to all the authority and all the rights of sonship, of overcoming his, of his rebellion against the father and of bringing him back, as it were, into this restored unity with the family and with the father. We turn our attention now to this, this final section, and now, for whatever reason, the, the son is finally coming into full view. We see this at the end, beginning in verse 25. I, I would encourage you to turn there with me if you haven't already. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's on page 874, Luke 15, beginning in verse 25. Here's what it says. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. We come at last to the final character of our story. This older brother, this older son. We come to understand that, that while he remained at home, while he seems, at least on the surface, to be committed to devotion and service and working and laboring and obedience to his father, we find all along what's been brewing in his heart is this rebellion that is just as offensive, is just as clear, is just as reprehensible as it was in the prodigal. And here is this rebel who has been home all this time. It's not what you expect of rebels. We expect rebels to be distant. We, we expect rebels to, to, to get out of Dodge, as it were, to, to, to sow their wild oats in other places. But, but here is this older son who is under the cover of this legalistic heart, of, of this facade of, of working out things in his own heart. His devotion is just a cover, is just a facade for his own rebellion. And we're gonna see as we work our way through this passage that his hatred for his father, his wickedness of heart, is just as evident, is just as clear. He is in just as much a need of mercy from his father as the prodigal ever was. And the danger of his position is his own self-righteousness has blinded his eyes from being able to see his need for a merciful father, a rescue and salvation. We find, first of all, his distance from his father that's evident there in verse 25. His distance from his father. Notice, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. 
This older son in the field, where, what is he doing? Why, why is he there? Well, he, he's going about his normal duties. He's, he's going about the practice of, of what he believes is right. He, he is doing the very things that, that his father has commanded. He's, he's out uh, working away, uh, doing his labor, uh, fulfilling his task, all of the things that good sons do. This is where you find him. But he's unaware of the celebration that's taking place. He's unaware of the, probably the biggest party, the biggest celebration perhaps this village has ever experienced. And here is this son. He's distant from his family. He's out in the fields. He's finally making his way back to the house after the day is well spent. The party is full blown. He is coming to this place of great surprise, of great shock. It is striking that the father and none of the servants ever thought once to notify the son of the party that was taking place. No message had been given to bring him the glad tidings of this celebration that was taking place at the home. The responsibility for setting up uh, a massive celebration like this would, would normally land on the eldest son. This was not a patriarchal responsibility. Patriarchs would delegate to servants. Patriarchs would delegate to oldest sons and younger sons to take care of the preparations of this kind of thing. But the fact that he wasn't even notified about the celebration that was happening helps to indicate this distance that there was in relationship. And that'll be more clear as we make our way through this parable. There's only one explanation for his lack of information at this point. He had no better relationship with his father than the prodigal did. It's nothing more, his, his obedience to his father was, was nothing more than trying to get what he's always wanted, and that was the, the stake of the inheritance, which at this point was now all, all belonging to him. Now, it's evident up to this point, even in the parable that we've been working through, that the older son has been distant. The older son has even been an, an afterthought in Jesus' mind as he is painting this picture of these two sons and his father. We find him nowhere in the story up until verse 25. There appears to be no apparent concern for his younger brother. There's no defense or support for his father. He is disconnected. He is removed. He is uncaring and unsupportive of his family. Perhaps he blames his father for the wickedness of his younger brother. Maybe he blames his father for his leniency, for his accommodation, for his kind of push over heart. This was the reason why the rebel son acted this way. There were no boundaries. There were no conditions. There were, were no parameters. There was no discipline or punishment for this younger son's rebellion. Of course he would act out this way. And so all of the things that took place were then could be traced to the recklessness of the father that precipitated the actions of the younger son. The older son only had one concern. Only one concern. His one concern was what was coming to him 
in terms of inheritance. The only way, the only reason why he's stuck around, and this will become evident as we work our way through the parable, the only reason why he's stuck around is because of what was coming to him in terms of inheritance. His rebellion towards his father was just as wicked as the prodigal. The older son was just an afterthought in this story. In in the midst of all the joy and the celebration of this returning son, no one had even thought twice or even once about sending word to this son who is out in the fields. The father didn't remember, the servants didn't remember. His distance from the father is built into the story. The earlier parables in the beginning parts of Luke chapter 15 help to demonstrate this pattern where we find in verses six and nine, the shepherd who finds his lost sheep and the woman who finds her lost coin. Notice what they do. It says they call together their friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me. That is meant to be the pattern for each of these parables. And so what would be the natural outworking of the father's joy is calling together his friends and neighbors. But for whatever reason, the son is not a part of that group. Just as the younger son's fleeing to a far country kind of serves to reflect his distant heart, his wayward heart, the older son being distant in the fields and now finally making his way back is also reflective of this same rebel heart, his distance from his father. Not only in terms of relationship, but also in terms of affection. In verse 26, we find his reluctance to celebrate his reluctance to celebrate. Notice, he drew near to the house, the second part of verse 25. He heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. Notice his reluctance. He assumed this party was a bad idea. At a minimum, he assumed that he wasn't invited. And as any A Pharisee would do, if I'm not invited, then I'm not coming. You ever feel that way? (laughs) He assumed something to be true about his father. That his father was wicked in some way of, of willingly refusing to invite him to this party. Of course, he assumed something, uh, a character flaw, some sense of immorality, some sense of injustice, some sense of corruption in his father to not welcome him to this kind of of celebration. Of course, there was no reason for him to assume the worst. There there was no reason for him to make a negative assumption in this case. All of this music and dancing and merrymaking and feasting that was happening, it was clear this was an evidence of a celebration, not an evidence of a funeral mourning. But this young man is suspicious. This man assumes the worst, he's confused. His reaction suggests that he assumed from the beginning that whatever was being celebrated by the family was not something that he was wanting to participate in. If the son's heart was in the right place, if he had even an ounce of love for his father, the text would have read very differently. The text would have read, and he heard the music and the dancing and the merrymaking, and he rushed in. He ran in to celebrate with his father because he was full of love and wanting to participate in his father's joy. 
But the text does not read this way. This, the elder son must have assumed, perhaps wondered, if maybe this celebration was a result of the long-awaited hope of his father in the return of his younger son. Certainly, there were evenings where he saw his father standing on the porch or the, or, or the hill, looking out over the horizon, just waiting and longing for that, that figure to come over the hill, this younger son's approach, and, and certainly that is what happened. And knowing the grief that his father had over the waywardness of his younger brother, perhaps he knew that this celebration was for him. But he knew, in fact, that he was not invited and that he was not notified for it. So certainly, the one who deserved the celebration the most, the most loyal in the family, the most devoted to the father, the one who stuck around, he was not being celebrated. This older son was not the, the, in the limelight of the party. All this reveals his assumption about his father's character. Celebrating the wrong things not appreciating the loyalty of the older son. So he remained outside. The older brother did not respond in a way of running in, but deliberately kept his distance. Notice what he does. He he addresses this servant outside. The the Greek word translated servant is actually the word pais, which is the word for child. Household servants would have their families and they would, they would live with the master on the campus, as it were, or the grounds. And so their families would be there and all the adult servants would be in hosting this massive party. Their children would, would often linger on the outside. And so here this older son is addressing, confronting, interrogating even this young servant outside. The response he gets in verse 27 is, Your brother has come. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. What do you suppose the assumption of this young servant was towards his brother? What did he assume this brother's response would be? Notice the words that he uses. Your brother has returned. Your father is celebrating. That which you have lost has been found. That which belongs to you has been restored. Certainly you want to be about the rejoicing of your family and your, and your younger brother who's come home. But he concludes this way. He has received him back safe and sound. And this word for safe and sound is the word for hygiene. It's, it, it speaks of wholeness. It speaks of cleansing. It speaks of health. To the extent that the son was restored back in a way that was better than when he left to begin with. If the son, this older son, felt any genuine love for his father, he would not have reacted the way he did. He would not have remained outside. Now we see the hatred towards his father beginning to to come out in full view in verse 28. Notice his defiant heart. His defiant heart but he was angry and refused to go in. Don't miss the real reason why the older son was angry. It was not that his younger brother had come home. Because if his younger brother had, been, had come home, 
and had assumed this hired servant status, had lived on the fringe of the property, and was forced to to make his way back into the good graces of his father, perhaps the older brother would have been fine. But that's not what was happening. He understood there had been full restoration, full celebration that was taking place. And so he is resenting the decision of his father to celebrate the homecoming of his wayward younger brother. He was angry, not about his younger brother. He was livid and angry at his father. It was clear that the father had forgiven this younger brother. No restitution was required, no punishment. It was obvious to all that the father had received this younger son in peace. This elder son refused to go in because he would not affirm the actions of his father. This father who had had absorbed the shame, this father who now invited the community to accept and commend his actions towards his younger son by participating in this celebration, this is not what the older brother, older son was willing to do. He would not condone his father's actions. He would not affirm his his younger brother's um, new status in the family. And to add insult to injury, his father is spending his precious inheritance. This fattened calf, the father is spending on this returning son. Of course, the father had every right to do that because it still belonged to him. But in the heart and mind of this older brother, this older son, he had laid claim to that already. His father had not consulted him about this decision. Understand the elder son did not care about the father's joy. All he cared about were his own rights in possessions. So now, he's gonna make his stand. Now enough is enough. His defiance now keeps him on the outside, now heaping shame upon his father, just as his younger brother had done. We find in the second half of verse 28, his father came out and entreated him. In spite of the dishonor of such a situation, a defiant son remaining outside, this father is notified in some way about the defiance of his wayward son outside. He leaves this celebration, which was a celebration of his good graces and benevolence, a celebration for the father's joy, He leaves the celebration and he goes out and stoops in humility to engage his older son. The father had endured already the grief of the prodigal's rebellion and had just barely begun to taste the joy of his restoration. Now he contends with his second defiant son. The rebellion that was long suppressed has now broken out into the open. But still, rather than scolding his son, he deals gently with him. He comes out, he pleads with him. He comes and entreats him. He comes and begs him, asks him earnestly to come to join the party. He is one, this father, who had every right to command his son to come in, every right to to inform a servant to make his orders clear and to bring the son into the celebration. Fathers in that culture did not plead 
Fathers in that culture did not beg. No, fathers in that culture wielded their authority. They sent their commands, but not so this humble, gracious father. In verse 29, the first part, we find his disrespectful rebuke. He says, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. His disrespectful rebuke. This son's response was different, of course, than his younger brother's. His younger brother who had come to himself, who had come to a place of clarity, seeing his sin for what it was, and, and approaching his father and, and noting the sin that had stacked its way up all the way into the heavens. He comes to terms with his sin. He confesses it to his father, this younger son, but not so the older brother. He wants to inform his father. He, he begins this way with the word look, which in the Greek is also the word behold. This deep disrespect for his father is erupting from him. In other words, I'm gonna teach you something. I'm gonna set this straight. You need to listen to me because everything that's happening right now is totally out of line. I'm gonna take some authority here. I'm going to instruct you on how things should happen. So sit down and listen to me. Then, he says, all these years I have served you. In the Greek text, it's even more revealing. It's the word doulos, the word slave. All these years I have been slaving for you. He finally makes it very clear what his relationship with his father was really like. It was just slavish obedience. There was no love, there was no tenderness, there was no joy for his father in this case, his father could not get out of the way soon enough. He wished his father were dead, just like his younger brother. In the second part of verse 29, we find his self-deception. Notice the, the, the words that he uses here. He says, look these many years I've served you and I have never disobeyed your command. You like that? <laughs> I have never disobeyed your command. He uses this word in the Greek, which is to emphasize, not even once have I disobeyed. I am the picture of perfection. I have been slaving for you, fulfilling my duties, and so everything that you are giving to my younger brother should be given to me. What do you think you're doing? The Pharisees obviously saw themselves in this same way, didn't they? They defined sin primarily by the externals. They defined sin by, by what they saw on the outside, these externals. But, but Jesus would help them understand time and time again, it is not just what you see on the outside. The outside of the cup might be clean, but inside it's full of greediness and covetousness and wickedness. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will will identify these attitudes. He'll say, you have heard it said, but I say to you, these things by uh, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, and you have heard it said, you shall not murder, but I say to you, if you even hate someone, it's as if you murdered them. This inner heart that the Pharisees could not see. 
And in his self-deception, this older brother sees himself the very same way. You see, sinful hearts have an amazing capacity for self-deception. Sinful hearts have amazing capacity for self-deception. That's why being in a community of believers is so important. That's why having friends who love Jesus and love the word of God is so important. That's why we are to stir one another up to love and good deeds. And it happens as we're in community with one another because the blindness that is not clear to us, those, those blind spots of our life can, can be helped to be exposed by the people who love us and are willing to speak into our life. Ironically, even as this older son was making his protest. He was demonstrating by his actions he had no love for his father. How could someone so thoroughly miserable honestly insist that he was perfect and without any need of repentance? We move to the second or the final part of verse 29. Moving into verse 30, we see his desire to remain outside the family. His desire to remain outside the family. Notice it says, you never gave me, it's the same word, udete, which is not even once, did you give me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this your son, excuse me, when this son of yours came who devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. There are at least two indications in this section of scripture that that identify his his desire to remain outside, distinct from the family. Notice he says, you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Your other son comes home and you give him the fatted calf. I've been here all this time and you won't even give me a small goat. He was actually suggesting in this situation that the father should ask forgiveness from him. You have sinned against me. You have not given me what I deserve. Yet what the elder brother's idea of of, of a party was, you see this, the, the word celebration that, that is used three times in this passage, moving into from verses uh, 20 to the end. This word celebration is used three times by the father. It's always used in reference to a celebration with his family. But, but notice the, the older brother and the older son, how is he using this word celebration? He only wants to celebrate with his friends outside of the family. He wants nothing to do with his father. He wants nothing to do with his younger brother. His ideal celebration happened independently. It happened autonomously. Next, this embittered son turns his anger against his younger brother. Instead of addressing him as my brother, notice how he addresses him. Not as the servant said, your brother and your father. Rather, he says, this son of yours has come home. When this son of yours has come home, he devoured your property with prostitutes and you threw him a party. You are no better than he is. You are affirming his wicked life. You essentially funded his reckless lifestyle. You have made yourself an accomplice to his actions and and then he comes home and there are no consequences. You are just as wicked as your younger son. 
and I want no part of this family. Why was he so angry? Well, this was not necessarily meant to paint the younger brother in a negative light, but to paint the father in a negative light. How could you be so wicked? This was representative of the father's love and the love of of our Savior, who willingly forgave those who were in his company. How many times do we find throughout the ministry of Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven you. Instantaneous restoration with him. We find in verses 31 and 32 that the brother remains outside. This story that has no resolution, no closure. It it, it ends abruptly. This kind of cliffhanger ending. Notice, and he said to him, this is the father now, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Even in the wake of this verbal assault, in the humiliation and shame that the older son seeks to pile on to his father, the father responds with tenderness. He uses the word son. This word eight times, there's, uh, in, the, in the Greek, eight times the word son is huios, but here the, the, the word is my child. There's tenderness, there's affection, there's gentleness here. And he uses this word always, this double use of all, pi, uh, of pas. Uh, all that I have is yours. And you're always with me to try to reverse the, the negative posture of his oldest son. The goat is not the issue. It belongs to you. You can have it. Just ask. It's yours. But there's no sign that the elder son responds to this gentle please of his father and the story ends abruptly and kind of hangs on these final words. And, and the, the purpose for Jesus discontinuing the story in this way is to now leave this open invitation to those who are in the audience to say, what will you do with the invitation that the father is extending to you to enjoy forgiveness through repentance of sin? Will you celebrate in the Father's joy? Will you be drawn into fellowship with the Father? And of course, this older son, which is representative of the Pharisees, their their grumbling hearts, and they're looking at this wicked, what they assume to be a wicked response from the Father. We know in just a few weeks' time exactly how they treat this Father and how they treated Jesus by putting him on a cross by hanging him there, by not just wishing him dead, but by making him dead. In their hatred towards this father, they vent their hatred on this representative, Jesus Christ, and put him on the cross. They want nothing to do with Jesus. They want nothing to do with this one who forgives sin. We find in this story the grace and mercy of the Father in welcoming sinners, both the older son and the younger son, extending his kindness and welcoming them into relationship, both of them desiring to be restored. 
Of course, all of that is only possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is only possible because of the price that Jesus paid on the cross. His death for sin in paying the penalty that you and I deserved. And that's what we'll celebrate here as we come to the, this time of, of communion and remembering this work of Christ in providing salvation, welcoming us in, drawing attention to the severity of our sin and letting us see the beauty and the wonder of our gracious Savior. Let me pray and I'll ask the men who are serving to come. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor so that through his poverty we might experience the wealth of forgiveness and righteousness of Christ. God, I pray that if there's anyone here this morning who has never come into relationship with you, who has never come to a place of recognizing their sin, that even in these moments, Lord, that you would draw their hearts to salvation. Let them see the the wonder and the beauty of our gracious Savior. We pray in Jesus' name.